morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We hope your time with us is enjoyable. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. This is our Rekindle teaching series, and we're going to talk about Rekindle the Joy. Let me begin with a story this morning. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. Anyone here have uh, pet birds? Show of hands. Plug your ears. You're not going to want to hear this. She moved the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang. She turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when sop. Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. Then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, She did what any compassionate bird owner would do. Somebody said microwave over there. Don't ever put your bird in the microwave. How many have ever heard of that story? Kind of maybe putting a cat. You can put a cat in a microwave, but not. I'm kidding. Any cat lovers out there this morning? Sorry. Please forgive me. No. Okay, back to the story. It wasn't the microwave. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just... Sits and stares. It's hard not to see why sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. We're talking about joy this morning, and there is a joy of such intensity in the Christian life that nothing, absolutely nothing, can rob you of it. We've been uh, kicked off this new teaching series last weekend, calling it Rekindle, and we looked at Rekindle the Love last weekend, and this weekend we're looking at Rekindle the Joy, and then Christmas Eve we're going to talk about Rekindle the Peace, and then we're going to end the year by talking about rekindling the hope that we all desperately need to head into the, to the new year. The holidays can be emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually draining, The consumerism, the commercialism, the capitalism can smother all that the season is meant to bring. So the question is, how how do you rekindle the love, joy, peace, and hope that we have in Christ? And so today we're talking about joy. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we will dive into our text. 
Father in heaven, because of the perfect joy you have in the Trinity, you created us not to get joy from us, but to give joy to us through our knowing you. It tells us in Psalm 1611 that in your presence is fullness of joy. In Psalm 4-7, it tells us that you put more joy in our hearts than those who have all of the success and wealth in this world. And then in Nehemiah 8-10, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we pray this morning that you would strengthen the weary, satisfy the wandering, and stir up our joy in you with such intensity through the study of your word that nothing can rob us of it. Enlighten our minds with the good news, and inflame our hearts with great joy, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So take a look at this text, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is going to take a little bit getting used to this new uh, podium, I guess you would call it. Had a little bit of a smaller podium. You guys cool with it? Okay, I'm cool with it too. That's good. That's a good start, huh? So Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 8 through 11, it says, And in the same region, by the way, this is the classic uh, Christmas story right here. If you ever want to sit down and read the Christmas story with your family, it, it starts at the very beginning of this chapter. We're just taking a little excerpt from it. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, this is great, I bring you good news of what's the next three words? Of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then in verse 11, he really gives us the gospel, and the gospel is just saturated in this text and throughout this text in chapter 2. But notice what it says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So here's where we're headed with our study. You can follow along on your notes. What is the good news? What is the good news? And then what is the great joy? So it's good news that brings great joy. So how do we rekindle that joy in our hearts? And then we'll give you some practical steps. How this changes everything in our lives. So if you're really living in, in, the, in the middle of this good news, it's going to make a difference in your life. You're going to have great joy as a result of that. And then uh, we'll look at some, just a few of the areas that it, it changes our lives. And so first of all, let me give you the good news. Three words, cradle, cross, crown. You could fill in the blanks there. And that's described for us there in uh, verse 11. It says, for unto us is born this day, cradle, this is the doctrine of the incarnation, God becoming flesh, and then Savior, he's our Savior, in fact, uh, the definition for sin, if you want a good definition for sin, sin is me taking God's place, that's what we do, we do it good, actually we don't do it so good, but but it's... Uh, we do really a bad job at it. We try to play God, and it creates all sorts of problems. Hey, that was kind of in, in the way here, wasn't it? Okay. You didn't care, did you, over here? No? Okay, cool. It was in my way. I couldn't see the faces over here. No falling asleep over here, okay? Just want to make sure you're with me. 
So you get the cross, substitution, Savior. He's our Savior. And uh, as I was defining sin, sin is uh, me taking God's place. And salvation is God taking my place. He came and lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. He's our Savior. And then crown speaks of how he restores our lives. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing to me how when we give God our broken lives, when we give him all those broken pieces, it's amazing what he can do with those broken pieces and how he can put those back together. That's part of that restoration. He's our, he's our Lord. Who is Christ the Lord? Crown, restoration. But not just our individual lives, but it's also speaking of the fact that one of these days he's coming back to fix this broken world. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we've got in those three words the gospel, the good news. Uh, in fact, I put it uh, kind of uh, put it in a nutshell below that. You can see, so this is ultimate revelation of God. So how do we know there is a God? People will say, well, how do you know there is a God? Well, we know there's a God through creation, uh, conscience, um, commandments, this book. So creation, conscience, commandments, God's word, and then ultimately through Jesus Christ. God showed up here. And so ultimate revelation, cradle, cradle, indispensable reconciliation with God. That's the cross. He reconciled us to the Father. We were eternally separated from God. And then you've got infinite and eternal restoration of this broken world by God, crowned. So he, he restores our broken lives, puts the pieces back together, brings about wholeness. The Bible uses the word holiness or sanctification. But one of these days he's coming back, as I stated, to, re, to, uh, to give us a whole new heaven and earth, fix this broken world. So John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus being the way, he's the way, indispensable reconciliation with God. He is the way to God. You want to have a relationship with God, you go through Jesus. He's, uh, so, so through his, the cross, the way, the truth... You want to know about God? Get to know Jesus, ultimate revelation of God. And you want your life put back together? You want to live a a whole life? You want to find wholeness in a broken world? It's right there, restoration. Infinite and eternal restoration of our individual lives and also the world by God. There's a dude by the name of J.R. Tolkien. He's probably not a dude. He's just a, a writer. And maybe you've seen some of the... Or maybe you've read his books. Uh, he wrote the, the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. How many have seen the movie? Any of the movies? Who, have, who has never seen any of J.R. Tolkien's? Actually, it was based on the book. Okay, yeah. Okay, what's wrong with you guys? Uh, you know, I'm not so much of a fiction kind of a guy like that. And it took me a little while. But after I watched it, like about the sixth time, I really got into it. And uh, I haven't watched it that many times, but uh, we do kind of a marathon around this time of the year. We'll kind of start watching through that. But this guy, J.R.R. Tolkien, who now there's, uh, they wrote from his book, The Hobbit. They did the first part, and it's going to be a trilogy too. How many have seen the first one? Hobbit? First one? Okay. How many have seen the second one that's out right now? What do you guys think? Huh? Is it good? Is that like a four-hour movie again? Okay. Better take a lot of stuff in there. Was it three hours? Okay. So it's pretty interesting, but here's... Here's what's fascinating about this guy, J.R.R. Tolkien, if you ever read any of his books, is that he believed that the stories we love of good defeating evil, some hero snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat, just in the nick of time, are glimpses, 
are glimpses of the gospel. Are glimpses of the gospel. And whether you realize it or not, when you go to you know, your favorite movies or read your favorite books or listen to your favorite stories, I'll bet you what excites you more than anything, and you don't even probably know this, that there's a, there's a thread of the gospel message weaved throughout that story. In fact, I want you to do this. Turn to the folks next to you and tell them what's your favorite, what is your favorite good against evil movie, book, or story? What is that? I'll give you, yeah, I, someone, I just heard someone say Braveheart. Braveheart was, uh, is one of mine. How about Gladiator? Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Lord of the Rings. And, and there's others out there. Real quick, do that with the folks sitting around you. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Okay, what did you guys come up with? Yell them out to me here. Okay. Narnia. Harry Potter, okay. Lord of the Rings, okay. Anything else? How many have ever seen the movie Pale Rider? Yeah, baby. Preacher, preacher. He goes back to town and cleans up, baby. Those guys are mean, nasty guys. He goes back there and works them over. Well, he basically kills them. But uh, <laughs> praise God, that's the gospel. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, ooh, baby. Yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting. There's some, you know, so if you really watch some of those movies, that's the gospel story, Cradle Cross Crown. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back to settle the accounts, balance the books, make things right. Restore this broken world. But he begins with his first coming by fixing our broken lives. And that's, that's the gospel message. Oh my goodness, I never get tired. I never get tired of hearing the gospel. It is amazing. That's what he says, good news. Good news of, of great joy. And so J.R.R. Tolkien believed that Jesus is the beautiful prince, ruler, and king your heart longs for. That when you're watching those stories, the reason why you get excited is because there's something much deeper in our heart that we long for. We long for a a hero, a leader, a king who will come back and set things right. And uh, Jesus Christ is everything you have ever wanted or longed for. I I know some of you that are here, maybe you've had some real bad church experiences and you got distracted and... Uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons, we get, you know, we miss the big E on the I chart. Here's the big E on the I chart, that Jesus Christ is everything you have ever wanted or longed for. And the only reason why when we watch those movies, it's stirring something deep within us, that we long for him, we need him, we're desperate for him. Whether you know that or not, but there's something deep inside of you. When you applaud, when the, when the hero comes back and just, just in the nick of time, you think that he's going to be wiped out. He comes back and he comes back as we stated right here. And the hero snatches victory out of the jaws of defeat just 
in the nick of time, and everybody applauds and goes, woo-hoo! That's what Jesus did for us. He came back and rescued us. He loves us. And that's the gospel message. Now, what is this great joy? Let's talk about that. Um, let me give you th- uh, three statements here. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that if you don't have great joy this morning, it's because you're not living in the reality of, um, of the gospel, the good news. If you're not experiencing great joy, it's because you're not living in the reality of the good news. The more you understand the implications of the good news, the more you'll experience great joy. Here's three uh, statements to help us unpack that, and we'll, we'll kind of work through this and apply it. We were created by God for God to give glory to God. Why are we on this planet Earth? We're here to give glory to God. You're created by God for God to give glory to God. First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. It says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, so whether you get married or don't get married, whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether your kids turn out good or turn out bad, whatever goes down in your life, whether you experience success or failure, whatever you do, whatever comes your way, whatever is happening in your life, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to what? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. The word glory means weight, significance, and importance. Make much of him. May your life be lived out in such a way, regardless of what goes down in your life, that you would make much of him. That people would say, wow, what? they have something in their life that's, that transcends their success or their failure or whatever they're experiencing. The people would look at you and go, whoa, what is that? You're living for something bigger than you. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. It's a 17th century creed. What is life all about? Why are you here on this planet earth? To give glory to God. And in fact, um, God himself most fully revealed in his son Jesus Christ is the supreme value in the universe. He is our most satisfying reality. He's our most satisfying reality. Next point on your notes. God's glory and our joy are one in the same pursuit. So living for his glory, living for your glory is subpar to living for his glory. You'll never be more satisfied than when you are living for his glory. Not for your glory or for the glory of anything else that's temporal, but for that which is eternal. Philippians 1.20 21, it says this, as it, as it is my eager expectation, this is Paul, and he's, uh, hand, he's actually chained to a Praetorian guard, not sure if he's going to make it out of prison, possibly die, and he says, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, he uses, that's an interesting word, shame has to do with being troubled over who you are. You build your life on your career, and your career doesn't go well. You're going to be ashamed. But he's talking about building our lives on something bigger than our career or the cash we have in our back pocket or, you know, college education, whatever it might be. He's saying that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be glorified or honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And some of you are familiar with the next verse. Maybe you've memorized it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Yeah. I mean, so he's, there is this joyfully treasuring Christ above all things in life. 
and death displays his worth and glory, and at the same time, nothing will satisfy you more. C.S. Lewis is the one that brought this up uh, in some of his writings because he was troubled initially when God was, would command us to, to worship him. Why would God command us to worship him? And then he finally discovered that God's commandment for us to worship him, to give him glory, was actually an invitation for us to find our deepest joy. So when you read, you know, when the Bible says, hey, it tells you to, to worship the Lord God, it's an invitation. That's where you're going to find your deepest joy. It'd be like if you came over to my house and I had this, uh, whatever your favorite pie is, but I had this pie and I command you to eat that pie. No, I will not. Don't tell me what to do. It's like, what? You've got to be kidding. You know, just dive in. I command you. And, and the reason why is because he would command us that, and that would be a commandment is because that's how he shaped us. I have shaped you in such a way that this is where you're only, you're only going to find your deepest satisfaction in me. I'm your most satisfying reality. Because if you don't, it's going to mess up your life. And... Uh, and so that's why God's glory and our joy are one and the same pursuit. That's why he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's where I find my deepest satisfaction. Here's the next one. is that the Christian life is, is the pursuit of your deepest and most enduring joy in God every moment of the day forever. So, so this is what, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, this, is what you, this should be the goal of your life, is to find your deepest joy in God. God, how can I find my deepest delight in you? How can I find my deepest delight in you? I'm going to arrange my life in such a way. I'm going to surround myself with, with the things that would stir up that appetite and satisfy that appetite for God. Um, Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always, always, always. Enjoy God. Walk with him. Live for him. Experience him. Know that he's... Always there. Nothing can separate you from his love. He will never leave you or forsake you. And that was all brought to us through the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. That's part of that gospel. So let me give you a little deeper definition. I think it's on your notes of this whole idea of joy. So joy defined. So as we're talking about joy as it relates to God. What, okay, rejoice in God. What, what specifically are you talking about here? Well, joy would be defined as this. It is a buoyancy based on the pleasures found or the pleasure found in the eternal privileges we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So you're just kind of living in the reality of, of who Jesus is. But notice this, I, we defined it here as a buoyancy because life, how many would agree, life can push you down. Life can push you down. There's no doubt about it. But there's this buoyancy. You keep coming back up to the surface because there's this joy in your heart. It is a buoyancy based on the pleasure found in the eternal privileges. So you've got to become familiar with the eternal privileges. We talk about eternal privileges week in and week out here. If you're not very familiar with the eternal privileges, you're not going to have the pleasure. Therefore, you're not going to have the buoyancy in your life. And so the privileges we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what's the opposite? Turn to the person next to you. If they haven't looked at their notes already, just ask them, what's the opposite, what's the opposite of joy? Most people get this wrong. What's the opposite of joy? Real quick, ask if they know the opposite. How many were thinking uh, sad? Sad, 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 sad. Okay, sad. How many sad over here? Any sads? Sads, okay, okay. 
All that said sad are wrong, okay? Sorry, sorry. In fact, those that said that, why don't you stand up and let us look at you? And... I'm kidding. I'm kidding you. No, it's not sad, but I always thought it was sad too. I'm right there with you. I always thought it was sad. No, it's actually hopelessness. Actually, it's on your notes there. It's hopelessness and despair. It's not sorrow because, because throughout the scripture, you see this combination of, for instance, it's not on your notes. You can write this down. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says, sorrowful but always rejoicing. Huh? Sorrowful but always rejoicing? Yeah. And in fact, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, we do not grieve. We grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have hope. Here's what I found in my walk with Jesus Christ is that the more I'm in tune with him, the more I'm saddened by the brokenness of our world. And at the same time, the more I have a sense of his hope that can restore that broken world. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm brokenhearted at what I see. And at the same time, I see God's beauty and his, you know, I, I see the dire condition of our, of our society. But then at the same time, I see the magnitude of his provision. So you got to see that the combination of both of those, and that's so we got so we're sorrowful, but always rejoicing. The counterfeit of this, now this is big, and you guys got to get this. The counterfeit is elation based on the gifts over the gift giver. How would you know if you're coming to God and it's not free love? It's it's based on what He gives you rather than He Himself loving Him for He Himself. How would you know? Whether or not you're loving him for the gifts versus he himself, just loving him in and of himself. How would you know the difference? What do you guys think? Do you think that you, you could tell the difference? I could tell the difference. I can tell the difference in my own life. I'm ready to chuck the whole thing when I don't get what I want. That's kind of playing God. I know better than you, God, what I should be getting in my life. And you didn't get what I think I deserve to get. And that's the reason why, one of the reasons why people defect from the faith. Is because they have been not serving God to get God, but they're serving God to get from God. And when they don't get, oh yeah, I tried that Christian, I, I hear people say this, oh yeah, I tried that whole Christian thing before and I prayed and didn't really get what I really wanted and so therefore I kind of chucked the whole thing. <laughs> no, you missed it. You missed the whole thing. You missed the most important thing. The greatest gift is he himself. He gives himself to us. And I will guarantee you, if you have him, you can face anything. If you have him, he is the greatest gift. He is the greatest treasure. Knowing him, walking with him, experiencing him. There's no amount of gifts that you could ever receive at Christmas time or the rest of your life that could ever compare to knowing him, experiencing him. Don't miss that. So the... So the that joy, it brings a joy, a buoyancy of walking with him and knowing him no matter what goes down in your life. No matter what happens in your life. So it's an elation. Counterfeit is, is an elation based on the gifts over the gift giver. Let me give you a couple examples and we'll walk through some of the, uh, how it changes everything. Um, John sixteen twenty two. I use that. It's at the top of the section here of what is the great joy. Jesus is about ready to leave his disciples, and he, he says, hey, you're going to be sorrowful. In fact, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is chapter 16, verse 20, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will, will turn into joy. And then he uses uh, 
uh, he says, and when a woman is giving birth, he uses this as, a, as an analogy. And so us guys don't know much about this, giving birth. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, I don't think it's all that hard, really. And, uh, and, uh, and I don't know what my wife was whining and crying about for 12 hours in labor. I'm like, come on, hurry up and get this thing over with here. What's, I got, there's like a football game on right now. And, uh, but he, he uses this childbirth thing. I think the closest that I can relate to childbirth is that uh, I passed a kidney stone one time. Anybody there? I thought I was going to die. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I thought I was like checking out. I was telling my wife, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> and I don't think she ever responded quite like that when she was giving birth, okay, where she thought her life was over. But it's interesting here, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. I remember with the, and I, as a medic, uh, I was uh, part of six deliveries out in the field. And, uh, and then I was in the room for the three of my children. And with the first one, my wife was in labor for 12, uh, 12 months. Okay, no. <laughs> Felt like it. It was like it was 12 hours. It was a long time. And you know, if you guys ever heard of that kind of transition, is it called transition where the woman wants to kill the husband? Is that? She went through that a couple different times, okay? And I had a full head of hair before the first... Uh, she pulled out all my hair. And, uh, but it was, I mean, it was a lot of pain. Finally, the doctor said, hey, this isn't going to go. This is too much trauma on the baby. And so she ended up uh, delivering through C-section. But here's what was so f- uh, fascinating about this is I watched my wife. And I was certainly pleased that it was finally over. And, uh, and when I watched my wife, that though the torment and the pain that she was in, when she had that baby, our firstborn, and then the secondborn and the thirdborn, uh, the joy overshadowed the pain. This is what he's saying. It's so overshadowed the pain. Oh, my goodness. Of course, she never wanted to have sex with me again. But other than that, uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that only lasted just a little while after that. But she recovered, got better. But, uh, okay, stop, Pastor Ray, stop. You're killing us. I'm sorry. Welcome to Desert Breeze if you're new. I'll clean this up by the time we get to the second service. That's why we're going to start a Saturday evening service so I can clean it all up right there. And then you guys, you guys have the clean version on Sunday morning. But okay, never mind. So, so the, I mean, it was just overshadowed by the joy. And, and check this out. This is what he says. He goes on. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Check this out. And no one will take your joy from you. When you see me, you're going to go through pain. But when you see me, when you encounter me, when I've resurrected from the grave, I will give you a joy that no one can take from you. You see how big that is? See how wonderful that is? That Jesus, the gospel, he came and defeated our enemies, sin, death, hell, the grave. 
And therefore, we have joy. Yes, we grieve, but in that grieving, we're sorrowful, but we have joy. We have hope in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point that he's, he's talking about there. And, uh, and then I gave you another verse there that kind of helps you with that too. It's uh, 1 Peter 1, 8. This was a group of people who were getting the living daylights beat out of them. They were persecuted. And he's, this is second-generation Christians, and it's... Uh, it's First uh, Peter one eight. He says, "Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled. This is good, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. In other words, there is so much joy in your life, even though you're getting the living daylights beat out of you through persecution because you're making a stand for Jesus. His presence is with you in such a significant and powerful way that you can't even put words to it." unspeakable, and, and the word glory, glorious joy, means it just flat out outweighs any pain or suffering. It's bigger than that. It's glorious. It overshadows all of the negativity that happens in our lives. Okay, so, so good news, great joy. How do you apply that? Let's just see if we can run through some of these, and then we'll end with a, with a little story here. How this changes everything. For instance, this changes conversion. I, these were all filled in for you because I didn't know if I, how far I'd get in this. And so you can circle that if you want conversion. Conversion is not just agreement with truth in the head, but an appetite for God in the heart. So when someone's being converted, it's not just agreement with who Jesus is, the good news, but it's like an appetite. You begin to say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus more than anything. Evangelism is not only persuading people about the truth of Christ, but pointing them to an incomparable treasure an incomparable treasure more valuable than anything that they have. I gave you a number of verses there. You can read those on your own to go into more detail. Go through the growing notes this next week with your family or individually. Acts 4.20, remember, uh, who were the two dudes that uh, they said this? I think it was Peter and John. They brought them into the Sanhedrin and said, hey, you guys need to knock it off. Quit talking about this Jesus. And in 4.20 of Acts, they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. We have such a joy. We've encountered him that has transformed our lives. So what is the daily fight of faith? The Bible talks about the daily fight of faith. First uh, Timothy 6.12, the daily fight of faith is a fight to see and savor Jesus is more desirable and satisfying than all that life can give or death can take. So what are you fighting for every day? That you would see and savor him above anything. That's the fight. That's the fight that we're in. And uh, the next one is overcoming temptation. How do we overcome temptation? Overcoming temptation happens by developing a distaste for sin because of a a superior satisfaction or joy in God. I love Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he didn't take that on as his identity, which would have been very prestigious in his day and time. Wow, that looks pretty attractive. But he said, no, I don't need that. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. My identity's in God. And check this out. Verse 26, he says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater, as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So all the money in the world mattered not to him. In fact, he found it more valuable to suffer with the people of God, with, with who God is, as opposed to all the success of this world. And so overcoming temptation happens by developing a distaste for sin because of a superior satisfaction 
in God. Nobody sins out of duty. We sin because it offers uh, a promise of happiness. So those of us, as we struggle with sin, the reason why we sin is because we, we are convinced that it's going to make us happier in the long run. And, and the way that we overcome that is by a superior uh, affection, a holy affection for the, the living God. To recognize, why would, I, why would I dumpster dive when I have a banquet table? Why would I play in the mud puddle when I have a Caribbean cruise waiting for me in God? That's, that's the contrast when you really begin to understand what the Bible's teaching. But we're so easily deceived. And then suffering. What about suffering? Suffering is opportunity to boast all the more gladly in our weakness because God, God's power is made perfect in it. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 talks about that, gives us some really good insight in that. He actually says, Therefore I boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the, the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then what does that mean as it relates to corporate and personal worship? Why are you here today? Why would you spend time with the Lord individually in Bible study and prayer? It is to awaken and express our joyful admiration of all the wonders and works of God. It's just to awaken that. That's my, my heart for you when you come in here, that, that your heart, you would be, your minds would be enlightened and your hearts would be inflamed with an affection for who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then what is ministry? And we could put in this category marriage and parenting and life group and serving at DP, DB or in the community as working with others for their joy, firm standing in the faith. And then what is love? Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. So that's, that kind of gives you, you could, as you walk that out, this is what it means in our lives. Now, let me give you some final uh, statements, and then I'm going to read a little bit of a, of a story here for you. But you don't feel your way into rejoicing. You might be here and you're just kind of wore out from the season. You don't feel your way into rejoicing. You rejoice your way into feeling. You guys tracking with me? You guys still with me? You rejoice your way, and then your feelings are never to be initiators. They're always responders. Rejoicing is filling your mind with the beauty and the value of the person and work of Jesus Christ until your heart is so sweetened and satisfied that nothing can rob you of it. Or, or until you begin to loosen your grip on those things you think you can't live without. When I find myself chasing after the things of this world, I have to go back to rejoicing in God until I begin to loosen my grip on these things. And I can tell when I've got a strong grip, my, my pride or my envy or my greed or something has taken hold of my life. And so I have to go back to Jesus and begin to rejoice in what I have in him because I'm trying to replace him with something else. So that's why it's so important you spend time regularly rejoicing and, and savoring and, and enjoying God and reminding yourself of, remember, remember what we said about joy? What is joy? It is a buoyancy based on the pleasure found in the eternal privileges. Just reciting the privileges of God. What do you have? What is true about you today? One of the reasons why we cave into to problems and, and the pressures of life is because we don't realize what we have in Him. The reason why we give in to the temptations of life is because we're not living in the reality of the treasure that we have in him. And so the best thing you can do when you come in here is to come in here hungry and to want to be filled up with him and to begin to see him and to experience him unlike ever before. 
Let me end with a story here. Back to J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, wrote, as I said, the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, who was a Christian believer and a professor at Oxford, had a friend, C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. Lewis was a teacher at Magdalen College, and on the grounds of Magdalen College in Oxford there, there was a walk around a river called Addison's Walk, named after the philosopher Joseph Addison. And you get to it by uh, going over a bridge, and it's, it's a very remote place. And so they walked around Addison's Walk one night many years ago. Lewis loved these old tales, myths, legends, even though he was an atheist, an absolute modern man. This is what he believed. He believed that good and evil were relative, that we are here by accident. Everything about us is the product of natural selection, and uh, killing the dragons and rescuing the damsel stories were just fairy tales. And yet Lewis was moved by these stories. And so Tolkien said to Lewis, here's my theory of why you are so moved, even though you are a modern man. These stories, though they are not true, historically and factually, are actually getting at underlying realities. And for example, all these stories first say that this world is under an evil spell. Our problems aren't going to be dealt with just by education, science, and technology. Uh, Let's just all work together, and can't we all just get along? There is a sorcerer that has us under an evil spell. We know that, and these stories all point to that. Secondly, these stories point to the fact that the material world is not all there is. There is more to it than what meets the eye, that there is a depth in reality. It is supernatural, not just natural. And then the third thing is that we need sacrificial love to save us. We're not going to be able to do it ourselves. So Tolkien said, at the intellectual level, you may believe or have been taught certain things, but deep down in your heart, all human beings know that life is really like that. In other words, there's an evil spell, spiritual realm, and we need sacrificial love. It is why these stories move us so. And Lewis responded, that was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien talking to Lewis, and Lewis responded, interesting theory. But all the old myths are lies. In fact, Lewis said, myths are lies, they'll breathe through silver. And Tolkien said, no, they're not all lies. How about this one? The world is under an evil spell, number one. Number two, then God sends his son into the world, and he's born in the most unlikely place in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. Number three, He takes on all the evil power socially, culturally, spiritually, and he goes to the cross. And it looks like evil has defeated him, and yet he is raised from the dead. Number four, and he is bringing together a band of people, and he's renewing their lives. And one of these days, he's going to restore the whole world. Lewis responded, that's just like all these other wonderful stories that point to these underlying realities. Tolkien says, no. Jesus Christ is the underlying reality to which all the other stories point. This story isn't just a story. It's factual and it's historical. He is the beautiful prince, ruler, and king your heart longs for to save the world. And through the influence of Tolkien, Lewis became a Christian. 
one of the greatest Christian apologists of the 20th century. Pretty amazing story. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. So God, I know that there are folks here today that just uh, are, are wrung out. And yet, in the midst of our sorrow and our grief and our problems and our stress and our strain, there is a joy. And I pray that this morning has recalibrated their focus and that they now see more than ever the pleasures that we have in your person, in you, and in your work, and what you've accomplished for us. God, rekindle that joy even now throughout this day as we head to Christmas Eve and we talk about peace and then we end the year talking about hope. Lord, just restore love, joy, peace, and hope as we head into 2014. God, we love you. We need you. We're desperate for you. Thank you for coming to this earth and rescuing us. Thank you for the fullness of life we have in you. That though the thief may come to kill, steal, and destroy, you have come that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Not just a a quantity of life, but a quality of life. So God, help us to enter into that during this holiday season, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? So don't forget, 4, 5.30... Get here early. This place will pack out. We'll have a couple overflow places you'll have to go to if there's not room in here. But uh, you want to get here early to reserve your spot. And let me end with this blessing to you in 1 Peter 1.8. These people are taking a beating, as I said. And this is what, in the second generation Christians, these are people that didn't see Jesus. And this is what he says to them. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And my prayer for you is that you would be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy during this holiday season unlike ever before as you you enjoy and you focus upon the pleasures that are found only in him, the eternal pleasures and privileges we have in him. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. God bless you.